Hello, welcome to the Consequential Podcast. With me as ever, Lucy Boys. Hello. Roger Hart. Hi. What have you buggers been reading? Lucy Crackfurst. So the only thing that I've read since the last podcast, uh, sorry, was Sailor Twain, which was really good. And what is that? It's a big comic about mermaids. Really? Yeah. How big? Pretty big. It's like about, maybe 400 pages? About yay. Mm. Smaller. Smaller. How Shorter. Many, how many mermaids? So for those of you who aren't in the room, and God how I envy you, Roger is doing hand signs of varying sizes. He's moving his hands closer and further apart so as to indicate different sizes. You probably you probably got the joke, but it was it was bad and I'm chastising him. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, so Sailor Twain is a, is a book that I really like as well. Um, it's it's sort of early 20th century. It's a late 19th. Late 19th. Um, 1887. A, uh, a, a steamer captain on the Hudson River finds a mermaid and she sort of becomes his muse and obsession in terms of getting him back to, to doing his writing and there's a bunch of people who are obsessed in various ways and it's sort of about how they interact with the objects of their obsession and what it costs them effectively mm. um, it's a beautiful book it looks I think it's charcoal mm. the whole way through mm-hmm. so it looks very very unusual and plays around a lot with um, a lot of beautiful uh, lighting a lot of stuff um, around uh, hard and soft shapes the full spectrum as well between sort of proper glorious detailed backgrounds and very cartoonish yeah. people. Yeah, so the, the people are, obvi- are sometimes, it varies, but sometimes they're no more than a circle with eyes and a triangle for a nose. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's just phenomenally detailed. Mm. Um, but it's beautiful and I very much like it. Not enough that I can remember who wrote and drew it. Mark Siegel? That's it, Mark Siegel. And it's available as a big shiny hardback from mm-hmm. first second. Yes, who do the good comics. They do, they do, consistently. That was it, really. That was it. it. That's all I read, and my plan of getting you to talk about it for me succeeded. So, brilliant, Mr. Hart. Oh gosh, what have I read? Um, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has and been I'm, a little while. I've still not actually read that much because I've been buggering about on holiday, but decided not to take comics with me. Um, I have read the um, Young Avengers trade. Is it style over substance? Styles, or? yeah, style, style greater, greater than, than substance. substance. Um, because yeah. Um, Read the latest volume of Chew, the latest volume of Fatal, and um, oh, the latest volume of Hawkeye. So you were saying that um, you didn't really get on with this volume of Chew as much. No, not not as much. I mean, it's still good. It's it's Chew. It's still I love the style. It's still funny. There are some wonderful bits in it. Um, have we talked about it on here before? I don't believe so. I don't think we have. So only briefly. Um, it's got a, a glorious resolution of the character of the partner who is. Sleeping with both of the department heads, um, it's got a glorious resolution to that. Yes. And it picks up on the. Um, I'll avoid spoilers for this in case anyone's following it, but the, the preceding volume ends on a profoundly unpleasant note. And this picks up after, and it does chase through some of the, the grimness, but it broadly ignores it. it ret- it's, a, it's a return to the lightness of tone and lightness of touch of some of the earlier volumes. Part of it pulls back from the main art plot, part of it sort of dives right in. It's, it's a weirdly paced volume. I suspect it worked better as singles than it did as a collection. Possibly. So I think one of the, one of the problems they've had is that up until this point, they've laid down 
tons and tons of narrative strands and that's always felt like it's driving everything forward but now it's got that sort of season two of lost feeling where they're not tying anything up mm. um they're, they're kind of keeping all of the plates spinning and it's kind of unsatisfying because it means that you don't get resolution on it, even the smallest and weirdest of bits yeah and there's only um Let's be honest, glorious as Poyo versus Peng Thulu is, there's, there's only so much that Arctic Mutant Cthulhu versus Homicidal Chicken buys you. I'm glad you clarified of... what those words are. That's, that's useful. Yes. Yeah. So, the, yeah, there's a couple of glorious bits, but it, uh, I, I have every faith that they will mm. pull the whole thing back. Um, I don't think they've lost their way completely, but I think yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got Tony going to a pretty bad place. Yes, so the, the main character has been put through the ringer in fairly unpleasant ways. Mm. Um, which is weird, because normally the tone is very, very light indeed. And there is, there is a return to lightness in some of this, but yeah, it's, it's kind of... It, it's a mixed bag. It's definitely worth picking up. You would probably enjoy it more if you'd been reading it as ongoing singles. For anyone who hasn't um, read it at all, it's definitely worth getting at least the first volume. Mm. It's... it's um, quite gory and a bit silly but it's it's as much fun as the tale of a policeman who can get the history of anything he's eaten and is therefore forced to eat a whole bunch of very unpleasant stuff in the course of solving crimes and his insane bisexual cyborg partner it, it, you, you can't really go wrong with that setup yeah it's, it's pretty good um, um, and like, I have kind of I've been reading a lot of sort of pulpy stuff, I guess, recently. So I've had the, the Young Avengers, um, the, Haw uh, the Hawkeye collection, um, Fatale's pulpy in a wholly different way. And it has been, it has been tremendous fun, but it's, it's all had sort of little niggles. Um, the standout is probably the Hawkeye, actually. Um, well, Hawkeye, in terms of niggles or in terms of... In, t in terms of overall quality. Yeah. Uh, which, which I hate to say because I, I loved Young Avengers. Um, well, Young Avengers is... Um much as they're trying to do a brand new thing, it's still beholden to quite a lot of continuity. Yes, I think that, that's part of it. Um, and I think if you're new to it, it's very hard to tell where there's continuity, how much it matters, and what's actually new. So the kind of weird expositional thing where hallucinatory, mentally internal Kid Loki and Kid Loki... Actual. Oh, fuck knows what the terminology is here, but where they kind I don't of know. There is it. probably correct terminology, but as we're not on Tumblr, uh, go at it. Not like that. Oh fuck. Have Although, an argument. Although, again, on Tumblr, probably not a problem yeah. to find that. Oh, it is delightfully gay. Good. But it's not alternate self and alternate self gay. Sure. Like this is Yet. this is this is not your headcanon. Good. Um, yeah. It, so. It, it's got some fascinating team characterization, and the thing that I've sort of loved about it, and this this is going to chime in with some of the stuff we'll talk about a bit later, I think, is it's not merely non-judgmental about kind of sexuality in the wider sense and being young and making mistakes and all of that jazz. It's it's actively quite supportive of a pleasingly modern liberal attitude, like the bad guys are prescriptive parenting. Yes, and that's not to say that the characters have sort of overly. Uh, that they don't they don't have evil parents or anything mm. that um, that dumb essentially, mm. but the, um, the 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 villain of the piece is essentially turns them into that turns them into the sort mm. of nightmare version of overbearing parents, mm. 
Um, and yeah, a whole lot, a whole lot of the um, the sort of general theme of the book is that uh, being young is actually quite difficult, and all of this shit is brand new, and it's actually quite hard. Mm. And then there are also dimension jumping superheroes. So the the opening panel of the first issue, panels of the first issue, were amazing. And Kieran Gillan did a um, a live and, and McKelvey actually did a, a live reading of it. They read kind of they showed they did a sort of show and tell based on reading the script and script notes at the Edinburgh Lit Fest. Yeah, was it, was it Lit Fest, Word Fest, something fest? Um, it was. Anyway, the thing the thing in the Edinburgh with with the books. Yes, stripped. Book stripped as part of the Edinburgh they, they Lit Fest. It was called stripped. Oh Christ! I went to a bad place. It's it's all okay. Um, no, you you take Kieran Gillan's suit off, and he's got another identical suit underneath it. That's that's generally. He's got another skin under his skin as well. Nice, nice. He can shed it at any given he's time. He's a replicant. Okay, replicants is, only have one set of skin. No, this has got he's weird. a different replicant. He replicates. <laughs> have you seen Blade Runner yet? God no. Maybe you need to get on that on your weekend watching Harrison Ford movies. You... Fine. Whoa. Anyway, they did this. They did this reading from it. Weekends are for drugs and buying Honda Civics. Okay, <laughs> Harrison Ford only comes into this tangentially. <laughs> Please continue. I'm not sure I can now. But no, they did this. They did this live reading of, of the opening panels and talked about some of the little changes that had gone into the process and some of the ways they'd constructed it. And there's extraordinary attention to detail in in composing these characters and moments. And it's it's um it's Hawkeye's Kate yes um, basically waking up in Norval's bedroom and it does this sort of wonderful arc through it, it's not as heavy handed as this but the trajectory of the first page is basically the world tells me I should be ashamed but fuck it yes um, and it's massively more nuanced than that because Kieran Gillen can really write but yeah and uh, funnily enough they had quite a lot of blowback from that mm. Um, because young female characters had sex with someone and it isn't ashamed. She should be ashamed. Mm. That's the only way this narrative works. Where's the shame? Those people are fucking idiots, obviously. Yes. Um, but the, the, there was a fairly predictable blowback to that scene. And they play some similar stuff with um, Wiccan and Hulking and kind of the sort of evasion of what is and is not sexual in their relationship and a bunch of the sort of intimacy stuff, which they then sort of spin at the end when they both laugh off how disgustingly cute they are. Um, and there's a lot of sort of slightly coy playing with tropes in it. It's, it's tremendous fun. And I think a lot of it, it's, um, as, as much as it might be fun to undermine a lot of that stuff, a lot of it is just... Gillen and McKelvey, McKelvey thumbing their noses at the more conservative elements. And as as one of my, my friends pointed out on Twitter, um, Norval's ass is a work of art. So that's that's the thing. So a lot of it is um, sort of drawn as as uh, not quite eye candy. It's not really that cheesecake, but in that they are all young and attractive characters. The men are drawn in the same way they are designed to be at least slightly sexualized and a fairly broad range of of body types and I would totally burn Wiccan that's what I mean I mean they've all got the same asymmetrical haircut because Jamie McKelvey but that's okay yeah you like I mean you have that haircut so yeah I I do look a bit like teen. I do look a bit like I've been drawn by McKelvey today I've got very good line work it's true. Cheekbones. Mm. Good jaw. Thank you. 
But yeah, it's sort of... Um, so I, I said sexualized. That's probably not quite the case, but it's about no, the sort of level of Buffy but, the Vampire Slayer. It's, it's Characters poisoned. are young and attractive. They probably will have sex at some point. It's poisonedly open to desire. Yeah. It's fan service in a large in sense. In a good way. But in a, in, not in a... Yeah, not in a dumb and pandering way. It's mm. it's fan service in the sense that it's come to mean to. I said it dismissively earlier, but I'm going to say it seriously now. Uh, Tumblr. It's there to be dissected and mm. poured over and cosplayed. And yeah. I think more than any other sort of mainstream comics creators, they are aware of that and receptive to it. And now, if you're a sort of late teen to twenty-something bloke with really good abs um, you can cosplay wearing only pants this is very true you would need to dye your hair white there aren't that many of those on the comic scene but I god I hope there are some there's also um, the fact that they've aimed for a certain amount of inclusivity as well so the character of America Chavez has gone down particularly well as a kick-ass biracial female character Mm. I mean she can literally kick her way through dimensions. Mm. That's that's what she does. But seems not to have quite fallen for any of the more egregious, strong female character sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean she's um, obviously physically strong, but defensive to fault, and we don't actually know much about the character. Mm. I imagine they're going to come back to well, us. So I mean, the, the problem with the the flip side of strong female character in quotes is often there's no character other than strong female. Yeah. Um, that was a little bit glib, but that's kind of the objection that you occasionally hear trotted out, which is, yes, great, strong female characters, but some people do seem to forget that they need to be characters. So who wants to know what I've been reading? Me. Go on. Show a bit more enthusiasm. Me. Was that less? Was that less or more? I don't know. It was certainly more goatee. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. If anyone here has had a goatee, it's you. I have had a goat. I was, I was going to make some kind of horrible segue into Night Goat. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> My favourite comic and perhaps the most feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm not. I, I, I suspect the gender politics of Night, Night Goat are completely above board. Does it pass the Beckel test? I Maybe. I think it might. So some of the S yes, I've overlooked comics either do or it's impossible to tell because who knows what gender that weird locust thing is. Mm. For those of you who aren't, uh, aren't following, this is a... Uh, comic strip by a friend of ours we'll, we'll put some on the show notes it's weird it's good weird good weird good weird but I think he's still refusing to put the good stuff on, on his on, on, on the website he, he has been holding out on us with the back with the archive of Night Goat does he have a private stash he's, he has been hoarding the Night Goat become crabs <laughs> <laughs> oh that's my favourite I'm faintly horrified by the phrase hoarding the night goat. <laughs> but if we work really hard, we could probably get that introduced to drugs lingo somehow. Not by me, obviously, because I say drugs lingo. I would, I would, <laughs> I would be caught out and killed by criminal gangs straight away. You failed at the first hurdle, contrary. Yeah. You know what the trendy drugs but, are. You know, I don't have a Honda Civic, so I can't pass off as one of the youth. I don't have a Honda Civic yet. Yeah, but you have strong plans to get one. You've got. I'm going to Bedford on Saturday. You've got a system. I do. You've got a system. It involves calling up Gary and occasionally going to Bedford. Nice. Gary's my dad. So I read Six Gun Gorilla. <laughs> this is this is going to be one of the bad ones, isn't it? Sorry. So, so far, there've been some consistent blocks. Right? 
So I read uh, Six Gun Gorilla. In fact, lately I've read a lot of pulp lately, um, but it's all been quite knowing. Um, so I think Six Gun Gorilla talked about before. It's about a gorilla who has two six shooters uh, in a weird sci-fi world where people who want to commit suicide are given a camera in their head and sent to cover a war. Um, also, the camera is a psychic tumor. Weird. Weird. Yeah. Dude. And and one of these people gets saved from certain death by a giant talking gorilla in a poncho. Is it played for laughs? To an extent. Okay. Um, but not particularly. Because I can imagine a totally serious version of that being just horrifying. Definitely, definitely not deadly serious. But mm. it's also not stupid. Mm. Um, so this issue was quite. Um, quite funny in that it's been sort of building up this sci-fi western world and then basically the uh, gorilla is yelling at the main character but mainly at the reader as well that um, uh, they have taken a narrative structure and applied it to a story because that's the only thing they could think to do Um, and why are you interpreting this thing as that why do you think the aliens are uh, an American Indian analog. Why do you think the gorilla is Clint Eastwood? Why this? Why that? Why have you made all of these assumptions when no one's ever told you this? Um, okay, I think that would appeal to me. And the main character is a librarian, and he's sort of soaked in story. So it's deconstructing a lot of pulp tropes mm-hmm. and Western tropes in that way. And yeah, I think it's something that you probably have a lot of fun with and think about far too hard until you get that look, um, mm. and then you drink when you calm down. Mm. Um, then a blog post happens. Yes. Yes, nine months later, a beautiful bouncing blog, blog post is born. <laughs> so I read that, and very much like that. I think there's another two issues to go, and I don't know if it's going to be an ongoing series after that, but the two more issues than the first one, and it's really good. Mm. Um, Simon Spurrier, who is one of the British comics writers who started in 2000 AD and then does bits for Marvel now and does his own stuff and he's sort of quietly become genuinely great Um, he seems to be very good at hopping genres and comics and does a lot of good stuff he's writing some good X-Men comics as well Um, and uh, the artist Jeff Stokely who I've never really seen much from before but his art in this is stunning is it worth reading X-Men at the moment? I haven't for a long there time. There are like eight X-Men titles right now. Um, uh, so, par for the course. No, there's actually more than normal. Um, and how should I begin? So, I've, I've not been reading any of them, mainly because I don't want to get caught out buying hundreds of singles again. Yeah. Um, but by all accounts, um, the Uncanny X-Men stuff that Bendis is doing is pretty good. Um, there's Uncanny Avengers, which is the two teams combined, um, oh, which Rick Remando is writing and is meant to be pretty good. The one that Sysperia is doing is X-Men Legacy, which mm. is um, Charles Xavier's son, who's uh, crazily powerful, but also uh, has a, a fragmented psyche, a character called Legion, um, trying to sort of put himself back together again. Um, or, Pro- or Proteus is also known as Proteus angry but, Scottish teenager but I, I thought oh so with uh, Mora's kid or yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Legion was oh I'm thinking of Onslaught sorry I got very confused yeah. there 
I, oh god, I, my relationship with Marvel continuity is 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 akin to that of a former junkie with the, the gear. I, it's it's I easy to it jump into. <laughs> so it's it's Charles Xavier's uh, mentally challenged son in a world where his father's just been killed, just at the point where he was starting to recover. So there's a good setup anyway. Um, yeah. There's also a comic where the Red Skull, Nazi supervillain, has stolen Charles Xavier's brain and bolted it onto his own. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Cassidy draws that one. That. Yeah. There's a reason I prefer the more stripped back continuities. And one day we'll do. I think we might do a podcast about this, some of this stuff. But yeah. That does sound like so a lot of stuff to... If, if this is entirely new to you, this sounds like absolute blithering insanity. Yeah. But I also don't know how you make comics for 50 years in the same world and not end up with them. Well, like, have mar- meaningful narrative drive and not end up with them being incredibly convoluted. I don't want to get into this now, but the, the blog post I keep tinkering with and rewriting and that will eventually turn into some kind of god-awful essay is about these kind of movements of context and things that you can and can't do and why they may or may not be a good idea don't forget art versus commercial pressures yeah so anyway those are fun I also read East of West which is another sci-fi uh, western um, it's good but probably did you buy that after reading my food blog no I bought it in Forbidden Planet are you still just tracking everything we buy via session cookies on Amazon? It, that, it, no, no, that's the NSA. I'm just, just a bit obsessed with my blog stats. Right. Uh, no, I, I bought it in a shop. Oh. Sorry. Someone, someone bought um, East of West after reading my food blog. Basically, the apocalypse happens in a sci-fi western alternative US, and it's pretty Well, what about tapenade makes people want that? I don't know. It makes me want tapenade. Ooh, tapenade. God, I love tapenade. Should we just can this now and go get some tapenade? Yes. Is that an option? There's no way around here to get good tapenade. You people sit the fuck down. <laughs> well, I'm going to Waitrose later. Oh, well, you're fancy people. For those of you at home, I just flipped him off. Yeah, I, it was the two fingers, not the one. For clarity's sake. Also, Clary's sake. I think she'd care about this sort of thing. I think she would. Hello, Clary. Um, so the other hey. thing I read uh, was Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Grey. And I fucking loved this. Um, but it's also hugely problematic. Um, so it's a... Tell us about that. It's a pulp adventure story. I think that kind of covers it. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of racist. Oh. Um, or more sort of... It's, it's Orientalism. You have savage tribes and uncannily wise old Chinese men and, and all of the, the bullshit stuff that you automatically associate with pulp adventure stories. And I kind of see why people do it, because they want to be true to the genre, but at the same time you can just fucking not write that stuff and do something else. Hmm. So I'm torn. I, as, a, as a pulp adventure story, it's fucking brilliant. It looks amazing. It genuinely looks like uh, a newspaper strip from the 60s, but in the best possible way. Um, Albeit not the best possible taste. No, not in the best possible taste. The taste of the 60s, perhaps? It looks Worst like Neil Adams 30s. drew it. Um, but it's, it's a... Uh, yeah, so it's a first-time artist um, called Chris Mooneyham, and he's... 
he's drawing in a way that just looks it looks natural it doesn't look like pastiche of um, sort of 60s and 70s Neil Adams uh, uh, and Joe Kubert uh, sort of drawing it looks like it's of the time and same writing is very much like like it's of the time it's very sort of short punchy could easily fit into the sort of three panel um, Modesty Blaze style newspaper mm. stories but I just wish it wasn't kind of racist this is the problem Every, of racism everything else about it I love it's a stroppy unpleasant English adventurer who has been possessed by five what are described as literary ghosts but essentially story fragments that are in the collective subconscious Does so it, is it is it anything like Cowboy Ninja, uh, Cowboy Ninja Viking? it's very much like Cowboy Ninja Viking it is less stupid than Cowboy For Ninja Viking for a second Viking. there I, 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 I halted halfway through that because I genuinely couldn't remember if I'd imagined Cowboy Ninja Viking it does have a slightly hallucinatory <laughs> feel to it doesn't it um, but yeah essentially um, he has Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, um, Robin Hood, Merlin, and a samurai stuck in his head at all times and can draw on all of that. Um, and again, it's another it's another thing about stories. Um, I seem to have been reading a lot of comics at the moment that are about stories, mostly because, you know, writers are fucking self-indulgent. Mm. Um, sorry, writers, but you are. Um, and it's got the potential to be really interesting while still being this fun pulp thing. Mm. And I just kind of wish it didn't have savage tribes and uncannily wise old Chinese men because it's kind of pissing me off. But I really like it. should buy it anyway and maybe send the creators a note telling them not to be so racist. So, let's get on to the, the, the topic of the week, which is feminism. And we're going to try and do this in 20 minutes and, you know, just basically fix everything that is wrong with uh, gender. Not as, just as, as, a, <laughs> as only two white dudes can? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> We're deferring to you. You could basically make up anything at this point. And we so, would... um, I worship my ovaries in a daily ritual. How do you do that? I place my hands over where I assume they are. I, I really have no idea where, how this stuff's arranged. They are not down there. Somewhere, somewhere, somewhere between the boob and the thigh. Yes. And I, yes, I massage them softly and say, thank you for being. For those of you at home, I'm making a little massage in motion with my hands. I imagine it's quite unsettling. It is quite unsettling. <laughs> yeah. To Roger, who doesn't like fannies. I, think I, I have no frame of reference to know if I like or dislike the lady business. We've done the thing, haven't we? You've, anyway. you've gone off on one, yes. Okay, right. but the but, point is that... We were, we were talking about, I can't remember what it was, but there's just there's been a lot of fucking horrible gender politics recently in comics as a whole. I, I mean, there's always been a lot of fucking horrible gender politics in comics, but like, there was a point last year, do you remember at Thought Bubble, where they had the, the women in um, comics panel, mm -hmm. and broadly the consensus was, we're all sick of doing the women in comics thing, because... It's bullshit? It's been done to death. Things, there's still a shit ton of problems, but things have got so much better, actually, let's maybe think about the work. So I can I and sympathise to an extent with the organisers because it's still a women and no panels to put them on. Well, it's it's still a big thing and still worth talking about, but at the same time, it seems incredibly reductive, and mm. people are there to see them as creators. Mm -hmm. But it kind of it kind of felt like across some of them. Maybe it's just because I noticed that. I, maybe maybe it is just an observation bias. But I kind of thought things were getting a bit better. 
and then a whole bunch of shit has happened in between and yeah was, so was sad there's a, there's been a whole flare up of penny arcade being absolute dicks about gender and then non-apology apologizing again was, was it the harley quinn thing yeah so oh fuck that was bad dc comics have just been fucking terrible really fucking terrible and i kind of rag on them a lot because their comics have been bad for a while they haven't had good comics that's kind of a problem for me as somebody who wants to read good comics um how can you like you've got a fucking moral duty when some of the ip you own is fucking batman to actually make something good yeah so so what they did was they they launched this competition which was a break into comics competition brilliant Vine. They set out a script for a four-panel piece um, saying, you write this, uh, sorry, draw this, submit it, that's fine. But what they drew was, um, what they drew, or what they asked people to draw, was the character of Harley Quinn gradually becoming more and more despondent. Uh, in a wacky way, because she is a character that's, you know, spun off from the Joker. So I actually um, read that totally differently, but we'll come to that. Um, and, and sort of the last panel was her naked in bath, surrounded by implements uh, by which she was going to kill herself. Um, well, so I, I skim read it first when you sent me yeah. the link. And my initial thought was they have drawn her, they have asked for her to be drawn playing with death in a series of increasingly ridiculous situations. My initial reading of that was playful. I went back and read it properly and not, not convinced. So it was, it was meant to be playful. It was essentially meant to be a fourth wall breaking thing where the character was uh, basically trying to get the artist's attention and say, oh, the writer's attention saying, don't put me in these ridiculous situations. I can't fucking stand it. I'm going to kill myself. And it was meant to be a sort of Warner Brothers-esque escalation of l- ludicrous violence. Harley Quinn is but, ludicrously over-sexualized anyway in most recent representations. Yeah, really, really, really doesn't help. so much worse um, than it used to be in the New 52. Um, but also this was never presented with the context that this was meant to be breaking the fourth wall. Mm. Um, so there's just a fucking astonishing tone deafness that they could ask for essentially thousands of naked pictures of one of their characters without any surrounding context. Oh, I, I actually feel quite sorry for whoever has to sort through the submissions because there's going to be some hideous shite in there. There is going to be there is going to be some absolutely properly properly fucking awful stuff in there, and probably some um, full on call the police type stuff. Yeah, and they did some other stuff that was really tone deaf as well, like uh, Hayden Blackman, J. H. Williams quit. Batman yeah. uh, comic which they were doing a pretty good job on and um, you know in, in their big resignation speech they said this is because we won't allow the character to get married and the character is gay so a lot of people assumed that that meant you know DC comics are anti-gay marriage which I don't think was the intention of uh, so I, I really Blackman I, when they wrote that I struggle with this like it it kind of matters, but even if DC Comics are not themselves institutionally anti-gay marriage, there is always a suspicion that the market address <coughs> driving the narrative decisions is about a perception of their fan base that leads to a kind of grimy conservatism. 
yeah. I, I don't know how much sense I, I, that that kind of resistance to shock in corporatized art and I know I'm starting to sound a little bit teenage Marxist here, but I, is is kind of pathological. The, the the mad deference to even the crazier end of your fan base is never going to lead to anything good. Well, so you've got... They have 52 comics at any given time. Why are all of them the sort of narratively stagnant things that are targeting teenage boys and... 35-year-old men? Why do they all have to serve those people? Why can why can uh, Batwoman not be something that is written for, amongst others, gay women, gay men? Why is it not? Why, you, like, look at Young Avengers mm-hmm. has been very, very successful in yeah. with basically people who don't normally read comics and mm-hmm. people who are marginalised specifically because it represents people who are normally marginalised in a way that isn't stupid or patronising. I would very much love to find out whether... Um, so I wonder, as, as I start to about a lot of things like this, whether it represents an issue of business leadership. So I'm not... like I tend to get cut off quite regularly when I start talking about business models, but when you consistently and repeatedly address nothing beyond your core market, you don't innovate. Yeah. Marvel occasionally innovate, it makes me wonder if there is not just a social, but maybe an actual practical business conservatism in the way DC are trading and in the way they're making their internal decisions. I, something, something, innovators, dilemma, something. So, Lisa, you're probably furthest away from the mainstream comics mm-hmm. of any of this. Does this stuff filter out to you, other than us shouting about it? It mostly comes to me through you guys shouting about it through Twitter through following people who are much closer to the kind of core of comics than I am I mean the stuff I read is very much a case of filter bubble I don't pick stuff that I think I'm going to disagree with politically it's the you know the nice liberal reinforcement thing of all my Facebook friends agree with me because I've unfollowed unfriended everybody who's horribly horribly right wing so in my little niche indie world, there's some iffiness, but there aren't any catastrophes. So I mean, for example, you look at, I know I've talked about him loads recently, but if you look at Craig Thompson writing either Blanket or Habibi, there I are some gonna, iffy yeah. attitudes to the way women are portrayed towards their agency in both yes. of those books. But it's one creator and it's stuff that makes me uncomfortable around the edges. It's not... Dick Wolves, it's not Harley Quinn, it's not a big, big player coming out and doing something really fucking ridiculous. So it's something it, It's something that you kind of approach on an individual yeah. level. I mean, it's... Create your it's, title. Yeah, you can't really call the indie comic scene... It's, no. it's not really a thing, and thus there's not really any kind of big disruptors like that in so it. This is, this is one of the reasons that it sort of bothers me that... Because comics is seen as a monolithic thing, and that it's mostly seen as Marvel and DC characters, mm. when they fuck up in this way, and this is this is a fuck up on any uh, in any sense, it's kind of damaging to anyone who might potentially sure start reading comics of any stripe, mm-hmm. because as much as they might not want to be, the indies are lumped in with the rest of it because yeah. if libraries don't want to stock comics then the indies are not going to be there if there aren't com- if there aren't comic shops actually 
viable within a community, then the indies aren't going to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that's still true, but I, I think it's eroding. So this has been a breakout couple of years mm-hmm. for um, more lit- for comics as literary fiction, and the treatment is profoundly sneering. The journalism has been awful. I mean, pretty much the only person that gets a free pass is Alex Hearn, and. Well, that's, that's because Alex Turn, when he was at The Spectator, specifically set out to have good, intelligent um, comics writing there. And I think Kara um, Ellison from Rock Paper Shop um, is yes. also yeah. doing some writing at The Spectator now. Uh, but she gets a lot of shit for... Well, she's a visible woman. She's a woman with opinions yeah. about things in a traditionally male-dominated field. She gets a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. I just read Laurie Penny's um, short essay, Cyber Sexism, mm-hmm. about, about all of that. And, oh, God, that... I, I had put to back of my mind just quite how unpleasant some of that stuff gets. Mm-hmm. Um, well worth reading, actually. And it's... Yeah, it, these things do, in real terms, stop women from wanting to participate, whether as creators, as commentators, even as consumers. Mm. So there's a couple of fairly visible female creators in the independent scene at the moment who have been sort of speaking about this recently. One, mm-hmm. one on a sort of very short soapbox speech on Twitter, Erica Moen was talking about how, like, she doesn't mention it very often, but she does get some genuinely unpleasant uh, contact from people because she's... A woman, because she's... A queer she woman a, who does a yeah, comic about sex toys, she has a reasonably, she's fair game. Yeah, and she has a reasonably complex gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and is very open about all of that. She gets some terrible shit. Yeah. Um, and she, like most other people who get that shit, will it occasionally boil over. Most of the time you just don't tell the world about that stuff because it's off-putting. Yeah. Because because no one wants to hear how fucking foul a lot of people can be when you're just trying to do your thing publicly. Yeah. Um, well, what, I, what I find myself wondering is, does the increased independent visibility of indies, uh, partly via this literary thing, sort of surfacing literary fiction, mm. mean that the sort of brush-tarring effect from the monoliths is less worse, or are we are we still still stuck with that? So when, I don't when know. You so that's, your, that, that's kind of a separate thing, isn't it? So that's that sort of people coming in to comics at all, whereas the sort of once you're in even slightly, there's the sort of self reinforcement of uh, visibility of authors, the, the the ability to approach them via various platforms. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, um, I meant back to so, the. Um, <clears throat> in, in in a world where DC and Marvel dictate the mass perception of comics, yeah. them being massive sexist dicks, wittingly or accidentally or however or not, then has the potential to put off a vast swathe of new readers and colour popular perception. As visibility of non non Marvel DC, non as not of non duopoly properties increases, does does that become less of an issue? Like is 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 maybe is it possible that comics will start to feel a lot less sexist because people will start because indies have more of a voice? I honestly don't know. So there's a couple of ways that those become visible. One of them is via comic book shops, and the numbers are dropping. Um, and that's my concern: is that if people aren't buying comics, then it becomes less viable to operate shops. Um, and in that way, the big two can be problematic. Could potentially be problematic. I should say, I don't really have any 
well, there's a pretty bad oh, history right. of like. I mean, obviously there's thingy um, Hanlon's razor, but like, I. I mean, I kind of I feel anecdotally as though the audience for indie comics, as with the audience for most indie things, is broadly even more liberal bent than the mainstream, and that that can self perpetuate within that subsection of the market, whether or not it can influence attitudes in the more mainstream areas, I, I don't know. It's, it's probably the case. It's still not great, particularly no. on online, <laughs> effectively. Mm. But so, Noel Stevenson, who uh, uh, draws Nimona, has been on the receiving end of some absolutely awful crap. Mm. And she's only been going for a year and a half, I think. And she's built up an audience in that time, mm. which is quite impressive, but now she has to deal with fairly ferocious sexism. Mm. Um, which is amazing because she draws an all-ages comic that has absolutely nothing to do with any of this and somehow I'm going to generalise here a bunch of insecure fuckwits seem to feel hell-bent on pressing all of their insecurities onto any woman they feel they can shout at Mm, which on the internet is most of them yes so we haven't quite fixed the entire world but I think, I think we came pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's like a bit over out by Hull that's still pretty fucking gnarly. That's just Hull. We didn't really general. touch Africa, but... Although apparently there's quite a nice aquarium in Hull. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's called the Deep. The Deep. That sounds sinister. Yeah, it's underwater. That does, it's not just the sea, I should point out. There's a building underwater... I was going to say, has Hull misunderstood the ocean. ...that they trap water in. And it's an aquarium. And it's got a restaurant. Um, it's basically Rapture, the theme park. Does it feel horrifyingly claustrophobic down there? I've never been there. I was looking at it this afternoon because someone mentioned it on Twitter. And you need to do something on your sabbatical. Or just spend two weeks underwater somewhere near Hull. Hmm. That's Sounds not pretty what I'm good. planning on doing. He's going to weld you into a little box. So anyway, sex criminals. <laughs> Sorry, and I'm the quick. comic. Sorry, I, yeah, I, I should, I should refer to you by name, shouldn't I? <laughs> like laughter is an admission of guilt in these contexts. Well, he fucks sandwiches. He I, does. I have never had sex with a sandwich. Sandwiches are also his diary. He has a lot of complex sandwich problems. It'll take years of therapy to unravel. I, I don't know where this has come from. I have, I have never popped it into a sandwich. You totally would, though. You would. The closest you're getting to muff is muffaletta. So sex, no, sex, sex criminal is the new fraction comic, not, not me finding sexual assault hilarious, I'm, I'm not it's, that much it's a dick. It's, yes. um, Matt Fraction, him off that Hawkeye, and uh, Chip Zdarsky, who is a Canadian comedian who is really horrible, and if you want to be, want Korean to be, ever be uh, deeply, deeply unsettled, read his uh, treatment for After Watchmen. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God. we saw a lot of Dr. Manhattan's butthole in the original. Oh, sorry, a lot of Dr. Manhattan's balls in the original, but now we need to see his butthole. He's just going to be picking things up the whole time. <laughs> uh, it's really horrible. Yeah, really, really horrible. He's a terrible man. And now he's writing a comic called Sex Criminals. On the cover of which he put the little issue one symbol in the place of a butthole. He's kind of, he's kind of obsessed. Mm. And Canadian. Anyway, it's 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 um, 
well, Mr. Connery, you've actually read it. You should probably tell us about it. I've read six pages of it. I thought the writing was very good. We can talk about that. Cool. Very quickly. Huh. Um, it's so it's about two people who have the ability to freeze time when they have an orgasm, and uh, they use this power to rob banks. You would. You probably would. Yeah. Slightly groggily uh, <laughs> rob a bank. Um, but How do you rob a bank if you can't walk? Because we've all been there. Yeah, true. Do they have little trolleys in banks? Okay. I don't know. They freeze time for a little while. They would have time to recover. Do you have time to shower? Because I wouldn't want to, like... like yeah, oh. oh, no, it's nice and clean for me. Anyway, they rob banks. Um, it doesn't really get onto that in the first issue. It's kind of all set up. Um, and I quite enjoyed it. They've said it's sort of... A, they're aiming to do a sex comedy heist film, essentially. And that certainly looks like it's heading that way. It sounds glorious. It looks good, it, it reads good, it's, it's nice. So that was something that was potentially concerning, was that it is two weird dudes writing primarily from a female point of view about sex mm. and about discovery of the main, char- main character discovering herself as a sexual being. Mm. Um, there is a potential for that to go horribly, horribly wrong. Oh, God, yes. Like two mouthy white dudes doing a podcast about feminism. It went really wrong when I discovered myself as a sexual pig. And no, wrote a comic about it. Mm. No, I only write comics about sadness. I was just, just talking about touching myself. Right. For the first time, second time. Don't know what we're up to now. Probably the high hundreds, at least. Who keeps track? You have a copy of the comic to hand. I do. Can I? Can you pass it to me? I just want to show both of you one image from it. Um. This doesn't translate well to the future radio. No. No, but I just kind of. Um, well, you you can't see tits on the radio. You can't see tits on I the just, radio. I just want to show you a hor- uh, an image that I found particularly amusing and horrifying. See if you can gauge reaction and if anyone buys it as a result of this. <laughs> There you go. You should probably read it just based on that. It doesn't make everyone sad, but it does make everyone feel unclean. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think we should uh, bid a fond, fond farewell. Good night. Night. Bye. Seriously, though, ET is a sex move. They're just phoning them home.